is five. Today's the fifth, okay? So today's proverb is five, seven. So my friends, listen closely. Don't treat my words casually. Well, God's speaking to us. Um, you know me. I like to fiddle around with names, right? A few times we find out what names mean, and there's always something fun behind the names. And um, so I, ha- I have no idea what I'm gonna, with whether I'm going to show you it's, you know, real world or, or whether it's been made up. I, ca- I can't vouch for that. But I've, I've run across some fairly unusual names. And so I thought maybe we'd take a look at some unusual names out there. Let's put one up. <laughs> okay, I see we've got Nat Rice-A-Roni, okay. Annette Fisher. Annette Fisher, okay. I need a hug, okay. That's, that makes sense. Born again. I had to promise Lisa that I wouldn't sing this one out loud. Some, 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 oh, Sam and Janet evening, okay. Elevator. This one, next one's my favorite. Amanda, yell at. (laughs) Okay. Tie my shoe. Now, this next one needs a little bit of explanation. This is an actual name. This happens to be my big sister. And there's nothing wrong with the name Shelley Wynn, but when my mother and father told um, her grandfather her name, he thought her name was Chilly Wind. And so (laughs) they made the list because of that. One more. Merry Christmas to you all. You know, um, we're going to be talking about some names, and uh, today I'm so excited we're in Matthew chapter 2. And finally, we're in the Christmas season, so it's okay to dive into the Christmas story. I think next year I might get in there in July. I don't know, but I've, I've been so looking forward to December and for us to spend time. This is such a rich place in the Word of God. Not that other places aren't rich, but the stories and the, 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 the imagery, the lessons, the love of the Lord is just everywhere you look here. And so um, we're going to read the whole chapter, Matthew chapter 2. So I hope you um, have your reading glasses or your Bible or both, and I'm going to put some of it up on the, uh, on the wall. We're going we're gonna to interrupt it at one point when we refer to Micah. So why don't you read along with me if you're there, Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days, um, oh, I better read it here because it's cut off. The days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet. And now it refers to Micah. So there's a quote from Micah. And uh, I have changed translations here. Bethlehem Ephathra, that was an earlier name for Bethlehem. You are one of the smallest towns in Judah. But out of you, I will bring a rule for, for Israel whose family line goes back to the ancient times. Is that me? What am I doing? Do I have a wire that's loose somewhere maybe? Did, did I turn that off or you did? Okay, sorry. Please stand by. Um, sorry, that's disruptive. When it pops like that, that's jarring, isn't it? Sorry. 
Okay, so you are one of the smallest towns in Judah, but out of you I will bring a ruler for Israel whose family line goes back to ancient times. This is a prophecy in the book of Micah that says from this, one of the smallest towns, this, this, this Savior is actually going to come. Quite a prophecy. And I want to slow down as we read through today's passage and talk to you about this, this because as I was reading this, I was gripped by the Lord about our church. And um, when Lisa and I came wandering through the community, asking the Lord and listening about whether we were to pastor here, the Lord spoke some things to us. I know he spoke prophetically some things to us. And one of the things that he helped us to understand was what kinds of spiritual principalities and rulers are creating problems in this region. Now, I don't know if you know what I mean by that. But just as surely as there is a Jesus in heaven above, there's an adversary. The scripture refers to him as Satan. And he has certain authority on the earth. And it causes him, he, mayhem, he, he's here to rob, kill, and to destroy. And not everything that goes wrong on the earth is the direct cause of something, you know, where, where hell is pulling the levers. But some things are. And as we wandered through the, the um, as we walked this property and as we drove around the community and as we prayed and we listened, something that the Lord spoke to me, um, I think maybe some of you might, might have felt before. And that is that there is something that, that would suggest to people in this community that because you come from a small community, you're smaller. Your worth is smaller. Your potential is smaller. Your future is smaller. And that is absolutely not heaven's perspective. It is absolutely not the way heaven feels about you, thinks about you, plans for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that the Lord, how he thinks about you, about your future and about your hope. It's completely different than this spiritual dampening that would want to somehow suppress you. And as I was reading this, the Lord gripped me and he said, remember, I pointed this out to you and it just gripped me. Here we are in one of the smallest towns. Um, and I don't know where you live. You know, some of you live in Rainier and some of you come from Olympia and some, some Tumwater and some of you live right here across the street and some of you south. But there's many times that hell will say to people, you come from smallness and there you will always be. And that is a spiritual lie that I wanted to flip out into the light right now. Just toss it out there in the light and say, okay, this is a concept that we sometimes adapt to because we're in it so much we start to believe it. And I just want to stop believing it. I want you to stop believing it. And I want to do it not just with our intellect but, but in the spirit. So I want to stop for just a moment and pray and ask you a couple of questions. What is it that he's fabricated in you? You should never despise your small beginnings. Don't ever despise your small beginnings because the savior of the universe came from Bethlehem. He did not come from New York City where they buy the best baseball players. Okay? Okay? Don't ever despise your small beginnings. The other thing I would say to you about this is that God never, ever assigns worth or purpose based upon what you've accomplished so far. It's always upon what he's accomplished and the potential that he's built into you. It's way more than you think and you know. 
I want to uh, pray about this spiritual truth and just let it settle. So God, we thank you, Lord, that it doesn't take New York City to make something huge. It only takes a partnership with your hands, your loving, capable hands. So we reject a concept that would say that we live and are in and come from smallness, but instead we, we recognize that, Lord, your word says that you knew us, Psalm 139, while you put us together within our mother's womb. You knew us, God, as you fabricated us, as you knitted us together. You knew it as you put the things in there that would be needed for our todays and our tomorrows. And God, we ask you to remind us continually about your work within our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, can we go on to the next slide? Back to Matthew. Then... Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Wow, we're in the Christmas story. I love it. So, Lord, we pray that um, through your word now, you might show us some things that would be more than information, that would be somehow inspiration. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I read this whole story, um, almost all of it, didn't I? <laughs> then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Is that the end? (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) I got going there. So I read this story and I started thinking about all of these characters, all of these people that this, just this single chapter mentions. You have, of course, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, Herod, Archelaus, his son, the wise men, the, um, the people of Israel or the people of Jerusalem, the scribes, the Pharisees. I mean, there's a big long list of people. And, you know, I'm, I, I think 
I think the difference between average photographers and good photographers is more than equipment. The difference is a good photographer's a good photographer figures out the perspective that's going to capture the moment. You know, it'd be really convenient if the perspective always happened to be right here at this height level so that I didn't have to bend over, squat, or move. But many times, doing something like this gives you a different perspective. That's why the coolest thing that happened in football was when they got that camera that would go back and forth across the field and get right above the huddle and the... No football fans here? Okay. Because there's this cool perspective that, you know, you see things there. You feel differently when you're there in that perspective. And I don't know what happens to you when you read the Word of God. Do you just hold back to the respective of whatever it is as you read from your easy chair? Or do you sometimes try to leap out of your own you know, soul and go, hmm, what's this look like from God's chair or what's this look like from Herod's chair? So I started thinking this through, and I started looking at all these different characters from different angles, all these different people. What were they doing? What were they thinking? What was their reaction? It's kind of interesting. I, I, I spent way too much time on this, okay? I charted this all out. I listed every person, and then I went to the scriptures where I mentioned that person. And I, and I okay, what did they, how did they react? What did they do? And I studied out the context. And it's... It was fascinating. It was really illuminating. And after you get all done, apart from Jesus, you know, God, there's an angel who was divine there too. And I'm going to also take the, all the male children under two years old out of the discussion because they were not participators. Well, they participated in this process, but they didn't initiate anything. They weren't, um, they weren't doing anything. Apart from that group of people, I'm going to lump all the rest of the people in the story into four basic categories. Four basic categories. And we're going to see that those same four categories you see popping up around you all over where you live. It'll be interesting. In fact, I'll bet you all four of those categories are sitting in this room. First, I'm going to go easy, and we're going to talk about the people who are possessing the miracle. The, the possessor. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. You, of course, have Mary. She vesseled the miracle. Now, she had a visit in the previous chapter by an angel who said, hey, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be by God. And um, um, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be socially correct. It'll be okay. That's a paraphrase, by the way, in case you hadn't recognized that. She actually became a part of the miracle by her participation. She possessed it, vesseled it, and participated in it. You have Joseph, who also possessed the miracle. He had, I think in this chapter and the chapter before, at least four or five visitations by dream where the Lord spoke to him. Pretty amazing. He listened for the voice of God and obeyed it. We've been talking about that over the last couple of months. And then he honored and protected and possessed the miracle. He, he didn't always understand why he was doing what he was doing. He didn't always know what tomorrow's was going to bring to the equation. But there was still something in him that said, I'm going to honor and protect and possess this miracle. Okay, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the possessors except to say that that's where all of us need to get to be. We need to possess the miracle. The miracle isn't just the birth of Christ and salvation. This miracle translates to all of the miracles of God, every single one of them. The things that the Lord has promised you about your children that you're waiting for. 
The things that the Lord has promised you about a mate when there's not one on the radar. The things that the Lord has promised you about your checkbook, promised you about peace, promised you about your health. Possess the miracle. We'll come back to that. The second group of people I want to spend some time on, maybe most of the time, is on the pursuers of the miracle. These guy called the Magi. You know, we've got a lot of traditions, a lot of traditions about the Magi, about the wise men. Sometimes they're called kings. Sometimes they're called um, magicians. And a lot of that is tradition. I'm going to talk to you about what's actually going on here. And um, I have to say that I have a nativity in the front yard of my house, and it's not scriptural. And the reason it's not scriptural is because there's three kings there bringing gifts. Okay, that's our tradition. That's not what the scripture says, by the way. Here's who, here's who the Magi were, and I'm not going to belabor this issue, but I'm going to take two minutes on history here for the history teachers in the room. Okay? Two minutes on history. Um, the, 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 the setting at the time is Judea is really a buffer state. It sits between two huge empires, the Roman Empire and the Parthian Empire. The Parthian Empire was a derivative, the, the chain of events was Babylon, the Greek rule under Alexander the Great, under Seleucid, and then eventually a group called the Parthians took, took um, leadership there. Now, so the, the, the Parthian Empire and the Roman Empire and Judea right in the middle. Actual physical possession and rulership of that area went back and forth. The Romans would be in there for a while. The Parthians would come in. The Romans would be in. And in fact, at the time we're talking about here, Herod was actually the king. He was named king of Judea, also known as king of the Jews. He was named that by Caesar Augustus, actually technically by the Roman Senate. Approved by Caesar Augustus, but named it by the Roman Senate. But there was a three-year time period that Herod could not even occupy his city, Jerusalem, because the Parthians were actually in control, their rivals. And there were two or three huge battles between the Parthians and the Romans. Mark Antony um, took a bunch of troops in there and, and, and got his tail kicked. Another uh, Roman general went in there, and 30,000 Roman um, uh, soldiers were killed in one of the battles. I mean, they really got clobbered by the Parthians. So there's a time here where the Parthians are really... They're really ruling the region, even though Herod is sitting in there. And, and so that's kind of the deal. You've got this buffer state between these two, two huge empires. Who were the Magi? The Magi were the, we get the word magistrates from it. They had a, a dual role. These guys um, were, were a spiritual authority. So their spiritual leanings were actually dream interpretation, not astrology. Although you might think so because they're following a star. Their deal was dr- dream interpretation. Now, let me backtrack a little bit. One of the Magi's that you've known by name, I believe, is Daniel. The Daniel. The Lion's Den Daniel. The Daniel that went, when he went to Babylon and he impressed King Darius. Darius, Darius made him the, the, the chief priests. These are the Magi that we're talking about here. And there was quite an uproar, uproar among the priests there because this was a hereditary-only priesthood. And here comes this guy who's not part of their lineage, and he gets appointed over them all. That made them angry. Some people believe that that anger was what fomented the, all of the, the, um, the things that were going on in the background that ended up in the lion's den story. Okay, Maybe, maybe not. So, so much for history. 
The point is that there's this linkage of the Magi. If you go back, you find that it crosses paths with Daniel. Because I've always wondered when I read this story, why were these guys from another country looking for Jesus? Why, why would these people from somewhere else, when God's people were surrounding him, why, how did they know? I, you know what? The people at your office that you watch live like hell have nothing to do with God. The Lord's speaking to them. The Spirit of the Lord is on the earth. And the Lord is speaking to people. And you have no idea the things that are going on in their hearts and in their minds. You never know when an opportunity, when the Holy Spirit would nudge you about some little thing, you have no idea of the power behind it. I want to encourage you. Here are these guys from a distant land that somehow the Spirit of God has driven them to go kneel before the king. It's amazing. So they had uh, two roles, these guys. They were spiritual leaders. They actually were the rulers of the land apart from the king, the Parthian king. They actually had, had all of the positions of governmental authority. They pretty much ruled the roost. But one of their duties was what's highlighted there. They were responsible for the absolute choice of who the king would be. They picked the king. And at the time that all this is going on, the king is elderly. He's already been deposed once. He may be near death. There's a possibility that when all of this was going on, they were out looking for who was going to be the next Parthian king. And somehow spiritually. Okay, so now, pick up in our story. They come to the scene, and they show up. King Herod, remember, he's the ruler appointed by Caesar Augustus. He's not actually Jewish. He's an Edomite. His father was Edomite. But he's the king of the Jews, king of Judea. That's our, that's our setting. And now the Parthians... The enemies of Rome who have appointed him come traipsing through the land. By the way, this is not three guys and a camel. This is a military group. They had cavalry with them. That just blows up the nativity in our front yard, honey. <laughs> but I don't want to have to explain it to the neighbors, so I'm not putting out 300 camels with, you know, whatever, guys with big curved swords. Um, I'm, so they, they come through the land... Herod knows who these people are and what they do. And they make this comment that's really a backhanded, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of an insult to him. And they say to him, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Where is he who's the real deal that you claim title to? Where's the real one? That's the question they asked. Where is he? By the way, you know, your analytical pastor here was me. I always want to take things apart and look at them. This is the first question in the New Testament. Where is he? The king of the Jews. So noticing that it was the first question in the New Testament, off on another rabbit trail I go. Guess who's going to go with me? You are. <laughs> first question. Wow. Fascinating. The first question in the New Testament, where is he? wonder what's the first question in the whole Bible. Well, I decided to go look it up. You find that in Genesis 3.1, and it's a snake talking. And the question is, did God indeed say you shall not eat every fruit of the tree in the garden? So the first question is, the snake says, do you really need to pay attention to God? Hmm. What's the second question? 
in the whole Bible. I'm curious about that too. I'm really curious. We're going to go on a rabbit trail. Let's go all the way in, okay? All in, okay. Just a little bit, a few more verses later, Genesis 3, 9. Now God's asking a question. Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit. They're hiding from God in the garden. And God says, where are you? Now, just between you and me, I'm pretty sure God didn't lack information. Okay? I'm pretty sure he knew where they were. So why ask the question? Have you ever had one of those teachers? They already know the question. They stand in front. They don't ask the question for their benefit, do they? Right? God stands in the garden and he says, where are you? He really wants Adam and Eve to figure out where they are. He wants them to realize they're not with God. They're separated themselves from God. First question, do you really need to believe God? Second question, self-examination. Third question, which is the one in the first one in the New Testament, where is he? Do you see the pattern there? It's pretty cool. I mean, admittedly, it's a rabbit trail. You don't have to build doctrine on it. I might not. I don't know. (laughs) But I think it's a pretty cool sequence because that sequence gets repeated over and over again in my life. Probably gets repeated some in your too, yours too. So let's just act, let's just take that those those questions and see what that sequence actually is. <coughs> First step in the sequence is the snake derails your faith by sticking doubt in. He tells you you come from someplace small or something like that. He tells you you can't trust your spouse. He tells you uh, no one will notice if you, and then fill in the blank. Snake derails your trust and your faith. Second step, God asks a question of you to help you find out where you are. And when those two go where God wants them to end up, we move towards him with rightful worship. Where is he? Okay. End of rabbit trail. Let's get back on the... um, Let's get back to these, these, these uh, Magi guys. So they taunted Herod by asking him this question about his title. That's kind of fun. There's something in me that likes to stir up trouble. I admit it. It's not very good, is it? <laughs> but they're having fun. Where is the real king of the Jews, they say to him. And now, by the way, um, well, we'll come back to um, the rest of the people of Israel, or pe- pe- the people in the city. Now, what's cool about these guys isn't just that they were looking for a king. Forget, forget the historic part. They were journeying to find God. They were willing to go somewhere other than where they already started. It's so obvious. I think every preacher has ever pointed out that topic, but I can't just not mention it, okay, because then you get mad at me. Um, But then when they found him, they had exceeding joy. They fell down and they worshiped him. And then they gave him these treasures, these treasures of the highest worth. They didn't just give him, you know, it wasn't like draw names, $50 is the limit. They gave him the best stuff there was. The gifts that they gave him, and I don't have a lot of time for this, but I'm gonna mention or just wanna go into it, the three things that are listed. There may have been other gifts, but these are the three that were called out by the word of God. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they have, their, they have meanings. Gold is, uh, speaks to the office of prophet. Gold is always related to deity. Gold is always related to deity. The um, second issue was the frankincense. That's related to the role of a priest. Um, frankincense was something that the priests would mix with the showbread in, in their ceremony, so that's what that means. And then myrrh was something that was only used as an anointment or typically used as an anointment for burial for kings. 
Those three gifts reference Jesus' role as prophet, priest, and king. By the way, three offices to which you and I are called. That's another day, that's another topic for another time or, or more. But here's the scary thing about these guys. They had their act together, they were pursuing him. They pursued him, but then they went away. That's the scariest thing about, about this at all. People pursue. In spite of their attendance and their gifts, they sometimes pursue but never possess. And that's the scary thing. And I don't want a single person here ever to do that. I don't want anybody in this church, anybody I know, to pursue God but not to possess the things that he has for him. That's why I come. That's why you come. That's why you care and pray about your friends and your family and you do those things. But to pursue is not enough. You've got to possess Anyway, so we've had the ones who possessed, now we've had the ones who pursued. Now let's talk about the predator, the king. The predator, he was out to destroy it. Even Ar- So this, the people in the story in this category are obviously are Archelaus and Herod. Herod was always driven by the wrong motives. Power freak, I don't know. He wasn't Jewish, and um, the word says he was troubled when he heard about this, and all Jerusalem with him, says he was troubled. The word troubled, there's lots of ways of being troubled. This troubled means stay away, troubled. Stay away from this guy. He's troubled. It's kind of like in my house, when my kids would live at home, and if I had to fix something with the plumbing, (laughs) I'm telling you, It's not a good thing to be at my house if I have to do something with plumbing because there, for me, is no finesse. It's either going to keep leaking or I'm going to break it. There's no in-between. And when I do break it, and I will, I'll make up words and say things I shouldn't say. And then I'll go to Home Depot and I'll buy the part and the extra part and the extra part and I'll take them back and I'll break all of them too. And it's just not a good thing for me to do plumbing. Troubled. So I'm troubled. He gathered people around him. Herod did this. He gathered people around him who would tell him what he wanted to hear. The word says he summoned his, his, um, his scribes and his chief priests, and all of them told him what he wanted to hear. And so then he decided to, and here are the things that the word says he did. He secretly called the wise men. And then he had this, plan to manipulate the Magi. Now make sure you come back and tell me where he is so that I can go and worship him too. Yeah, he was going to worship him with a sword. And somehow the Lord uh, was protected. You know what's interesting? What's interesting was that the Magi had a dream. There were visits by angels. You know, Jesus was behind all of that. The infant, the baby child was behind all of that. Jesus... He was a baby, but he was still God. And angels were going. They're messengers. They're sent at the behest of God. These dreams were messages from God. Do you get the circular thing going on here? Jesus is this perfect, innocent, vulnerable baby, but he's also sending the troops in. I don't know how all that worked. It's going to be great to figure that out at some point. But you know how much I underestimate sometimes God? I mean, I got the intellectual thing done. I know God is God. I know God can do anything and does everything. But I never think through the intricacies of some of the stuff that's actually at work behind the scenes for my protection and for my love. Amazing. So here's this guy. He's a predator, 
And all he cares about is destroying anything that's going to intervene between him and what he wants. And here's the problem with that. When your motives are wrong, it absolutely kills your aim. It kills your aim. He wanted to destroy God as if that would be possible. And what does he do? He kills all the boys, two ages, age two and under in this region. I don't know how many that was. Can you picture? Oh, I don't even want to think about how horrible that must have been. And he didn't even get close to accomplishing what he was trying to do. Wrong motives destroy your aim. What are you aiming at? I'm not saying you got wrong motives, but I'm saying if you want to hit your target, get your heart lined up properly and you'll be pointing at the right thing. The other thing about wrong motives is that it kills our ability to reason. This guy was not reasoning. He's got spiritual people coming and saying to him, God is at work here, and he decides he can fix it with a sword. Bad, bad logic. In the fourth category of people, what do you think the chances are that it's going to start with a P? <laughs> yeah, the pretenders. They're all over, aren't they? This is, here's who falls into the category of pretenders. All of Jerusalem, the crowd, we're going to call them the crowd, and the chief priests and the scribes. You know, the word says that it wasn't just Herod that was upset. It was the whole city was upset, not just Herod. And why were they upset? Well, this was a military entourage of people, not just three kings on a camel. So there's a military scare going on, but what that represented was a change, a potential change of leadership, change of who the king would be. The system would be going to be upside down. Who knows? Who knows what their tomorrows would be like? Who knows whether their, their job would be the same, they would keep the same land? Who knows what would happen to them? They were looking out for themselves rather than trusting God's plan. And there was this huge pressure, I'm sure, present in that city for everybody to do what everybody else was doing. They call it, we call it political correctness. <coughs> we do. I'm not saying run out and offend all the people you can. I'm not saying that. But I disdain the pressure that being politically correct puts on people to not be righteous. Hmm. You know what? The Lord will honor your righteousness. Lisa and I um, have been going for years to a theater in Seattle and... Um, Last Tuesday night, we were sitting, and we've been subscribers at this place for a long time. We went and saw a Christmas story. You know, you'll shoot your eye out, BB gun story, okay? It was in the theater. It was pretty fun. But we've been subscribers there for a long time, and we've gotten to know the people who sit around us. We've got some pretty good seats. Probably 20 years we've been going there. And um, so we're getting some pretty good seats now, and the people who are around us have been staying in those seats at the same time, and there's a gal who sits right next to me. She's got two seats and our two seats. She's 84, and um, when we got there Tuesday night, she, um, she stood up and immediately wanted us to know that a couple weeks earlier, she had um, walked in and found her 64-year-old son who, who lives with her. She had found him, passed away, and she started crying, and of course, we loved on her and, and uh, cared for her as best we could. She's a devout Catholic. Wanted to know if I believed in the Holy Mother. And I absolutely believe 
that Mary is the mother of Jesus. I believe she participated in the miracle. I believe she was a possessor of the miracle. And I don't think that I was being asked in that moment whether I was an adherent to the Catholic tenets about Mary. This woman knows I'm a preacher. She was looking for something of hope there in those moments. And I could have gone into this unloving dialogue (laughs) about doctrine, but that wasn't what the moment was about. And it wasn't about political correctness. It was about being something of just a little bit of light and love for someone when she needed it in the moment. Political correctness in a moment like that needs to be a long ways away. (laughs) So here's this whole city. I don't know why I got it. That wasn't in my notes. I wasn't planning to talk about that, but it just, sorry, I'm distractible. (laughs) Yeah. And this pressure to go along and this conforming to everything else that's going on around the world, if you just get along to go along, sometimes makes sense, but a lot of times it takes you someplace you don't want to be. And then you have these guys, these chief priests and, and these scribes. <sighs> You'd think they'd get it right. It's on one of the stories here in the Word, here's what they do. They tell Herod the, the facts, but they don't tell him the truth. You know that? You know that how you can do that? You can tell someone the facts without telling them the truth? (laughs) And the guy needed the truth. And these people knew the truth. They had to know the truth. They referenced Micah. They knew the scripture. They knew the prophecies. They told him the name of the city. You asked me, I gave you the answer to what you asked for. What kind of counselor is that? People that live in the facts but deny the truth are pretenders. And they could perhaps be the most dangerous people in the story because they have the tendency and the capability to derail people to the left and to the right. They have the capability to cause people to become lukewarm. They have the capability to, if the Lord did not intervene, potentially derail even the very elect among us, the pretenders. I, um, I don't think we have any pretenders here, but I'll bet you can think of some. I'll bet you might even be able to think of a time in your own history where you might have been able to say, I think I was a pretender here. In fact, maybe there's some pretenders. I'm going to go a step further and say this. There's four people, four categories I've lumped into the story. The possessors, the pursuers, the predators, and the pretenders. I'm going to go a step further and say, I think that there's a piece of every one of those present right here in me. (laughs) And um, I think, I think this is, that's the point of the story today. Now it's time for the Lord to say, where are you? And let the Lord go to work to lead you to that place where the Christmas story can take, take grip. So I'm going to give you two quick things you can do, and then we're going to pray and go, okay? Two things you can do with the miracle. If you can identify inside of you 
anything of a predator or a pretender, you need to figure out a way to turn them into the pursuer. Turn them into the pursuer in you. Second thing, you guys can come on up. Second thing is, then when you find out the pursuer in you, you got to make sure that the pursuer takes possession of the miracle, whatever the miracle happens to be. Let's pray. So Lord, it's, uh, it's an amazing, amazing history. Somehow, all around you swirls all of this hellish controversy and all of this hellish attempt to kill you, to kill your mission, to kill your children, to destroy. Yet, Lord, there is always a pathway and a plan, heaven-engineered, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we're thankful, God, for that story. We're thankful, Lord, for the truth of that scripture. We're thankful, Lord, the way that you think about us is written down in Jeremiah 29 and 11. We're thankful, Lord. We're thankful, Lord, for you today. God, I want to pray about these four issues of character and ask God for, first off, if there's any predator if there's any pretender present in my heart or our hearts, Lord, we lay that before you and say, God, we are pursuing you today. We pursue you now, Lord. And Lord, now when it comes to pursuit, we want to go all the way past falling on our knees, worshiping and giving our best gifts. We want to get to the place where we possess the miracle as well. We don't want to be like the Magi who came, and came all the way there but didn't finish and instead went away. We pray, Lord, that what would, would, this room would be full of people who possess. God, I want to pray too right now for anybody here who does not possess the future of eternal life. Your word says, God, that you didn't want anybody to die. You don't want anybody to perish without eternal life. And that's why you sent Jesus, your son. So thank you, God, for that plan. God, I pray for any heart present who who would hear this message and need to open their heart to you that you would lead them in that. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name.